Hello and welcome to Deep Dive. From the Japan Times, I'm Oscar Boyd. Over the past decade, Japan's premier soccer league, the J-League, has become known internationally for raising players who have gone on to play for some of Europe's top clubs. At the same time, it's also become a league strong enough to attract the likes of Barcelona legend Andres Iniesta, as well as many of Asia's top players. This Friday, the 2020 season starts, and joining me today to talk about what we can expect from the upcoming season and explain the J-League's growing domestic and international appeal is Dan Orlowitz, the Japan Times soccer correspondent. Dan, thank you for joining me and welcome back to the podcast. Oscar, thank you for having me again. We're going to talk about the J-League today and I'm going to have some problems here because Japan Times style is to call it soccer. And being from Britain, I am a football guy. I mean, that's we all have problems in our lives. Uh, I've what, what are we going to are we going to agree to disagree on this, or, or what are we going to call it for this I, show? I am sort of an agnostic in a way. I mean, if if it makes you more comfortable, uh, I I feel like the the soccer football divide it it shouldn't you know be such a divisive issue, but. <laughs> Uh, I'm willing to play uh, by whatever rules you said. It's your okay, show. Okay, you stick by soccer, and if I accidentally say football, then so be it. My first question to you, you are the Japan Times soccer correspondent. How did an American born and raised in Philadelphia end up fascinated and writing about Japan's number one football league? Well, I, I fell in love with the game here. I got into the J-League uh, my first year of living here in 2007, and I saw, I believe it was in Metropolis Magazine, had a listing for some J. Lee games, and this was during Golden Week, and I had nothing better to do, so I was like, oh, I'll check, check a game out, see how that goes. And what was it about that first game that made you so excited about the J. League? I was, it was FC Tokyo against Kashima Antlers, and FC Tokyo were not very good, and Kashima Antlers were very good. They actually went on to win uh, that season, and they won three straight. And I went to Ajinomoto Stadium, and I ended up behind the goal at FC Tokyo, and it was just so lively and colorful, and all the songs and the cheering and the flags, and I just fell in love with it. A week later, I went to another game, and then a week later, and then uh, time goes by, and I'm a season ticket holder and <laughs> writing a blog and making my own flags, and then eventually uh, someone decides that my ramblings are worth uh, paying money for. So that's sort of the cliff notes. And so the addiction turns into a career. I know nothing of the J-League, and I'm going to be very upfront about that. How does it work? The J-League is Japan's uh, professional soccer competition. Uh, it has three divisions and a total of uh, 56 clubs uh, plus three more uh, under-23 teams that compete in the third division. So they're known as the J-1, J-2, and J-3 leagues. Uh, the J-1 uh, is the, obviously the top division. It has 18 clubs and runs from oh, this Friday, late February, uh, through early December. Round robin, home and away, three points for a win, one points for a draw, and whoever has the most points at the end of the season wins. Uh, it's a very exciting and colorful league that's producing a, a lot of very talented players, many of whom are going on to Europe and representing Japan internationally. 
and it's an incredible thing to watch and enjoy. And how does it compare to other international leagues such as England's Premier League or Spain's La Liga or even Italy's Serie A? Uh, it's not fair to compare those leagues at the competitive level. Obviously, the Premier League attracts the best players in the world. La Liga has also you know, Spain's top players and some of the best players in the world. Italy isn't quite the league it used to be, but it's still, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo plays at Juventus. What the J-League brings to the table that some of the top leagues don't is competition. You go into a season truly not knowing which club is going to win at the end of the season. And it's just chaotic in a beautiful way. <laughs> uh, and we've it's a, it's a joke. One of the biggest cliches about the J-League is that we know to expect chaos. And that's exactly what we get. And nothing else. Nothing else. And we love it. It's just everything from how the, the competition plays out to the, the fan culture and, and the league's uh, history and culture. It's just... It's J-League. And, and what causes that sense of competition, that sense of chaos, that sense of not knowing anything about it before it goes in? There is a unique parody within the league, and a lot of that comes from the fact that you don't have clubs spending hundreds of millions of dollars on players. Uh, most of the clubs are working within sort of similar financial bounds. Uh, J-League clubs are owned by, for the most part, corporations rather than individual owners or ownership groups. So there aren't any oil-rich shakes spending hundreds of millions of dollars on top players? No, although, of course, a City Football Group does have a nearly 20% stake in current reigning champions, Yokohama F. Marinos. But overall, you look and... Uh, there is no club that is able to keep its grips on the title for too long. So this parity, this is just, um, there's no regulations in place, for example, that would limit the amount clubs can spend on players. Yeah, there's no salary cap, so to speak. There are limits, or there were until last year, limits on how many foreigners you could sign, how many foreigners you could play. But uh, those limits are actually gone now. And overall, it's just... You can be in the second division one year and win the title the next year, which has happened twice in the last decade. Uh, it is refreshingly competitive, uh, and it's, that's part of what makes it so enjoyable. Let's bring it back to Japan more generally. Where does soccer fit? Oh, <laughs> it feels so unnatural. Where does soccer fit in Japan's sporting landscape? I think that when a lot of listeners think of sports in Japan, the first thing you'll think of is sumo, followed by baseball, just because Japanese baseball has this sort of mythical place in the hearts of sports fans. But soccer itself has a history in Japan dating back to the 1870s in the Meiji era. So about the same time that baseball actually was also brought to the country. Basically, about the same year. Uh, the Emperor's Cup, which is Japan's version of the FA Cup, began in 1921. The National High School Tournament began in 1917. So these are tournaments with a lot of history and a lot of prestige. 
of course, since the J League was founded in 1992 and started in 1993, the professional game has improved. That has contributed to the success of the national team, which has appeared in six straight World Cups since 1998. And you said it, the J League started proper in 1993, set up in 1992, and it's now dominated by professional clubs. But it wasn't always that way, right? Well, before the J-League was the Japan Soccer League, the JSL, which was mostly company clubs. And when they made the decision to create the J-League, that these were conversations that were going out throughout the 80s, uh, the decision was made that these clubs must be pro clubs. One of the conditions was that the company clubs turn pro and drop the company names from the club name and had the hometown and a nickname. So Yomiuri SC becomes Verdi Kawasaki, Mitsubishi SC becomes Urawa Reds, Mazda SC becomes Sanfrecce Hiroshima, Nissan FC. God, we're really putting you to the test here. <laughs> it's either FC or SC. Either way, uh, they became Yokama Marinos. Eventually they merged with Yokama Flugels to become Yokama F Marinos. And a lot of these clubs have roots in that corporate amateur soccer culture when you look at uh leagues in europe for example you see a huge amount of local support you have fans who you know really are diehard fans um will support their club at every occasion does japanese football does the j league attract the same kind of support obviously j league clubs don't have the the history that english clubs do but the support is still passionate and fanatical. Uh, you will have clubs that bring 30, 35, 40,000 fans to each and every game. You'll have clubs that send one, two, three thousand fans to every away game, week in, week out. Uh, some clubs have bigger bases of support than others. But, for example, Albirex Niigata uh, was for years the top-drawing club in the J-League, despite not really being very good. A lot of that is because of how the club sort of rallied the city after the Niigata earthquake in 2004. Uh, you have Vissel Kobe, who were a big part of what happened in Kobe after the Great Hanshin earthquake in 1995, and that was, in fact, the first year of the club. And so their their connection with the city is tied to that. So you have these clubs that become focal points for the community, and they are representing the community in times of need. Hmm. I think the other thing when we look towards clubs in Europe and around the rest of the world is that they often offer a chance of escape for people especially on lower incomes, to become these basic heroes of the game, heroes of the local community. Does Japanese football bear similarities in that regard as well? It's a bit different from Europe in that there isn't as much of a class divide in the sport. There isn't as much of a political divide. The J-League takes painful lengths to keep the league and the competition apolitical, for better or for worse. Uh, but the result is that you don't have to worry about right-wing supporter groups taking over the stadium. It isn't a, a place where kids feel unsafe. Uh, it, it is sort of pure escapism. And what the players do is they are inspiring kids who see 
Shinji Kagawa and KSK Honda starting in the J League and then going to Europe. And now that that's a dream that young soccer players have that they couldn't have uh, as recent as 15, 20 years ago. It's interesting you talk there about Japanese players moving on to Europe. How is the Japanese league viewed on the international stage? I've got this notion in my head that it's a place that Europe's retiree players come to end their careers. Is that true? Is that what it is? Or is it much more than that? In the early years, certainly it was. In the, but over time, the league has grown. Now these clubs can produce players through their academy systems. They'll have kids from elementary school through high school age playing and, and developing, and then those kids can go on to play for their clubs. Uh, the J-League is very well regarded for its organization, uh, for its youth development. In Asia, it's known as the best league in the continent, and uh, the J-League hosts regular exchanges with leagues from other countries to help clubs and to help league officials learn how to do what they do. Europe knows the J-League as being a source for very good, very affordable young players. Uh, the amount of talent that Japan is sending to Europe is unbelievable. There's now more than 50 uh, players in Europe right now. And who are the biggest Japanese players playing outside of the J-League at the moment? Right now, the most popular player is probably Takumi Minamino, who recently signed with Liverpool, which is a huge accomplishment for him to join such a storied club. Uh, then you've got Takefusa Kubo, the 18-year-old who, as soon as it was, he turned 18, left FC Tokyo and joined Real Madrid, and now he's on loan at Mallorca. Of course, the, the biggest stars, uh, so to speak, are Keisuke Honda, who went to Brazil's Botafogo, uh, Shinji Kagawa, who played for Dortmund, he played for Manchester United, and now he's playing in Spain, along with Shinji Okazaki, who was at Leicester City when they won the Premier League title. So those, that's just a handful of names on the 50-plus that are out there. It's interesting that we're seeing the scenario where more and more Japanese players are being poached by European or other clubs with more money, um, which suggests that there is more talent growing in the J-League. But do you think there's a rising tide of talent in the J-League? Do you think in 20 years fewer players will go and play overseas because actually the J-League is one of the top tier leagues in the world? Or do you think it's always going to be the case that a few standout players get poached by the biggest clubs in Europe who have the most money? People refer to the J-League and leagues like the J-League as sellers' leagues, where they're not bringing in top players, but they're selling their best players. And the idea is that through selling these players, you get lots of money, ideally, and then you can reinvest that back into the clubs and back into the league to some extent and to, to help grow the next generation of players. Uh, Japanese players now get way more money than they did five years ago when most of Japan's top talents went overseas for free. So the fact that clubs are starting to get money uh, in transfer fees for these players means that they'll be able to reinvest them into their youth programs, into their marketing, into the facilities, and build a stronger league based on that. The J-League has also been working very hard at becoming 
uh, the so-called Premier League of Asia. And they're doing that by bringing in Southeast Asian talent, especially from Thailand, where the sport is exploding in popularity. And now that some of those Thai players are succeeding, including a Console Sapporo midfielder, Chanatip, who made the best 11 in 2018, uh, Southeast Asian players see the J-League as the, the dream destination. That's where they want to play. That's the next step for them. One thing that's been emblematic of all the changes the J-League has experienced recently is its broadcasting deal with DAZN. DAZN is essentially, it brands itself as the Netflix of sports. So it's online streaming for sports. Online streaming for sports. And they are in the middle of a 10-year, $2 billion uh, domestic broadcasting deal with the J-League. And that was really the first time that the J-League had gone all streaming. Uh, Before then, it was Sky Perfect TV. And so fans had to adjust to DAZN and the idea of not being able to watch uh, the J-League on TV. But the product has improved. And more importantly, the J-League has retained the production rights to everything, which means that they have more control and they're able to create not just the, the match day broadcasts, but all the ancillary content, which is really evolving. And does it mean that it makes it easier for international viewers to watch the J-League if they want to? Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, at the end of last season, all of the international broadcast deals reset. As of right now, there's only been a couple announcements uh, regarding overseas broadcasters. But for example, the UK is going to have the J-League live for the first time on free sports TV. And Optus will carry it in Australia uh, largely due to the popularity of Ange Postacoglu, who was the first Australian manager to win the league last year. I want to move on now to get a bit of a preview towards this upcoming season. It's starting this Friday, the 21st of February. But before we do that, why didn't you wrap up last season in a brief 60-second window, starting now? Well, in his second season in charge, Ange Postacoglu led Yokohama F. Marinos to their first J1 title in 15 years with what was the, the most exciting attack that the league has ever seen. Uh, FC Tokyo jumped out to a large lead by midseason, but once Takefusa Kubo left in June, uh, they stalled in midair and crashed. Uh, Vissel Kobe despite having Andres Iniesta, David Villa, and Lucas Podolski so struggled. big international players. Big international players. They struggled for consistency, and eventually midseason replacement coach Thorsten Fink got them out of the relegation zone and won the Emperor's Cup on New Year's Day. Uh, defending champions Kawasaki Frontale didn't win their third straight title, but did win the Levan Cup after beating Consadole Sapporo. How many seconds do I have? I think you have about 20 seconds left. I've got 20 seconds left? Wow. Um, <laughs> but it sounds like the chaos that you mentioned earlier. Absolutely, and that's what, what we love about the J-League. You're, you're rarely going to have a team that sweeps all the tournaments. There's always something in it for everyone. What are the main things to look out for for the 2020 J-League season? 
Uh, it goes without saying that this being an Olympic year, uh, it's a big year for the J League's young players. Uh, Olympic squads are limited to, I believe, 18 players. So it's going to be a tight fit, especially with the three overage players who are eligible to participate. Tell me about that first. What is the overage slot? Uh, the Olympic tournament, the Olympic men's tournament uh, is restricted to players 23 and under, except for three overage players who are, can be above 23. Uh, players like Shoya Nakajima, who is somewhere in the 24-25 range, Takumi Minamino, who, who's also in there. I mean, th- th- those are the sorts of players who I think uh, could be eligible to participate if their clubs allow them. Moving on from players, which clubs are we expecting to put on strong performances over the next season? I think that uh, F. Marinos look good to repeat. If Even if they don't do it, I think that they'll put up a very strong fight. They still have one of the strongest squads in the league. Uh, I think FC Tokyo could make another strong run. Uh, they've had some promising results in the Asian Champions League so far. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, as someone who, who got into the J League with FC Tokyo, I'm sort, of, sort of always prepared for disappointment. And I don't know. After the strong form of the Fissel Kobe showed in the last third of the season last year, uh, this could finally be the season that they make a run for it. And highlighted in my notes right now is the name Kazuyoshi Miura, otherwise known as King Kaz. Tell me about him. He is the indomitable legend. He turns 53 years old next week. <laughs> uh, he has been playing since before I was born. He might still be playing after we're all dead. It's just going to be <laughs> cockroaches, Keith Richards, and Kazumiura. And a drop of coronavirus. That's what's going to survive the coronavirus. Uh, Kazu is a national team legend, a, a Japanese soccer legend. And even if he only plays one or two minutes a game for maybe five games this season, uh, just the fact that he'll be out there and he's still very physically fit is, is a tremendous accomplishment and everyone will enjoy that. And anytime he even gets on the bench, that'll be back page news on all the, all the sports papers. 53 is absolutely mad. <laughs> It is absolutely mad, but you know what? Any of us should be so lucky to be half as physically fit at that age. And which international players should we be looking out for this season? I think Andres Iniesta, Vissel Kobe. I mean, he's sort of the big one to look out for. They've got a lot of very good international talent. Uh, FC Tokyo has the Brazilian triple threat of Diego Oliveira, Adalton, and Leandro, uh, all of whom have been in the J-League for a few years and are all capable of scoring credible goals. Uh, then you have the Thai players who I've mentioned before, Chanatip at, up at Sapporo, uh, defender Tirathon Bunmathan at Yokohama F. Marinos, and uh, we've got a couple new-slash-returning Thai players, Tirasen Dangda, joined Shimizu Espulse, and then goalkeeper uh, Kawin also joined Sapporo. He's going to be playing sort of an understudy role in preparation for the 2020 season because their Korean goalkeeper will be joining the military, uh, which is something that occasionally happens. The J-League is known for having a lot of very talented Korean players, uh, even a few North Korean players, uh, but they have to do their mandatory military service, and then as a result, they have to leave, which is always a shame because a lot of them are very talented. Is there a women's league that acts as counterpart to the J League? 
The J League doesn't operate a women's league, uh, but there is the Nadesco League, which is a sort of semi-professional competition at the moment. Uh, the JFA has announced that they're going to be developing a professional women's soccer league uh, that's going to start in September 2021. And in the last couple of months, they've been formulating all the regulations and the requirements. Uh, I believe one of the interesting things is that they want to mandate that each club have at least one female executive, uh, which is, for Japan, rather progressive. And hopefully that will start well and, uh, fingers crossed, lead to Japan hosting the Women's World Cup in 2023 because that bid process is ongoing. Fantastic news. And back to the J-League, are there any big changes coming up in this new season? The biggest change is going to be the introduction of VAR, video review. Uh, they've tested it in cup competitions last season, and it's going to be implemented across the J1 this season. Uh, it's going to be a bit touch and go. Uh, some people are concerned with how it's going to affect the match day atmosphere, how it's going to change how the, the style of play, how it's going to change what the referees do. Uh, it's gone better in some countries than others. Obviously, in England, it's not going so well. In Australia, it's had mixed success. So hopefully, uh, the J-League does a good job of it. Uh, They've put out sort of what they expect VAR to do, and now it's just down to the referees to live up to that. And what are you most excited about for the upcoming season? Personally, uh, I am excited to have Kashua Reisol back in the J-1. Uh, not that I am attached to the the team, but their stadium is very small, very intimate. They have really good supporters, and I missed being able to go there regularly during the the season last year because they were in the J2. So having them back is going to be a plus. So yeah, uh, it's going to be a good year. I think last year was very exciting, and this year I expect more of the same. Well, Dan, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for being very patient with my ramblings and you uh, got soccer right most of the time. So (laughs) we'll get you there. You've been listening to Deep Dive with me, Oscar Boyd, and our guest this week was Dan Orlowitz. Many thanks to him again for joining us. You can read all Dan Olowitz's reporting for the Japan Times online at japantimes.co.jp and you'll be able to read his preview of the 2020 season later tonight. If you like Deep Dive, get the latest episodes straight to your device by subscribing to us on whichever podcasting platform you use. Join us on Twitter and let us know your thoughts on the episode by tweeting us at Japan Deep Dive. Thanks as always for listening and until next time, Podskare-sama. Podskare-sama.